Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning, the final from Petco Park in San Diego. It's the San Diego Padres 6, the Cleveland Guardians 3. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy, watching baseball being played. And man, a 9.40 start out on the West Coast was rough. It was hard. I... To the point where, you know, I had been recording these at midnight and then going to bed, and I I had to pass out and record this traditionally in the morning. So those of you who like to listen in those wee hours, uh, you know, I apologize it's coming up a little bit late, but I mean, it it legitimately felt like a chore. I mean, once the Guardians go down, uh, you know, big to the Padres, it it felt like a chore to finish that game so that I could podcast it for you uh, just with that late start time. Right, a seven o'clock start time. Hey, it's fine. It's on while you're cooking dinner. It's on while you're doing other things. Uh, but I stayed awake. I, I saw the last out and, uh, and then passed out immediately. So let's get into it. Let's get into the storylines. Uh, you've continued to email in, so I got some good emails to go over at the end of the episode. I love the the numbers on our big double header episode. I. The, uh, the length of the episode did not scare you away. It was one of our most listened to episodes of the entire season. So maybe it's just because Friday night's game was that amazing. You had to hear what went down. Uh, but I appreciate I appreciate everyone who, even with the long episode, the doubleheader episode, wasn't intimidated by that and uh, jumped in and listened. So uh, we're going to have to do with something else like that late in the week because I'm going on actual vacation coming up soon and uh during all the traveling and stuff like that i might not be able to record uh i'll do episodes from the road but i might have to combine a few games uh to make it work so stay tuned uh if if you a game goes by and there's no episode just know it's because i'm traveling and uh we'll we'll do doubleheader episodes we'll get to them we'll talk it so let's get into this one top storyline of the game tanner bybee has his worst start of the season. I mean, it's, it was pretty obvious from everyone who watched the game. They jumped San Diego. Jesus. I mean, that's three out of four games in a row now where teams have jumped on us uh, in the first inning and we've had to try to claw our way back. You know, it works Friday night against Houston. It doesn't work Saturday against Houston. We, we look great Sunday against Houston and now we're right back at it here. Four runs in the first inning including a big three-run home run. No, it's not a Jose Abreu this time. It's Gary Sanchez, the, the former Yankee, former twin, former Met, who's caught on with San Diego and is somehow hitting now with San Diego. Hey, hey uh, okay, good for Gary Sanchez, I guess, but not good for Tanner Bybee. Uh, so let's get into this first inning. Let's, let's get into what went wrong for Tanner Bybee. He goes four innings. Gives up eight hits, six earned runs, two walks, three strikeouts, two home runs allowed on 75 pitches. He is hard hit one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten times. And like I said, clearly his worst start of the season, you know, going over to his game log. He had never given up six runs before in a game. The most he would give up was four to the Detroit Tigers and a loss to the Tigers on May 8th. That was his third start of of his career. Um... He also gave up seven hits in that game, uh, which was the most he'd given up. He also strung out seven hits against the Mets on May 21st. So giving up eight hits in this game, the most he's given up in his career so far. Uh, you know, it wasn't walks, it was the home runs. 
mean, he had only given up three home runs so far over seven starts, uh, eight starts, and now in his ninth start, uh, he gives up two home runs in this one. So very uncharacteristic so far of Tanner Bybee. Uh, so, I mean, he, he the, the quotes after the game in Mandy Bell's article weren't much. <laughs> Basically, he said, I sucked. Like, go ahead, pick a reason. You could pick one. I could pick another. Uh, it's pretty clear that I sucked tonight. Uh, and, I mean, Francona kind of called it that the like the home run he gives up to Soto is it's middle-middle. I mean, that's that's the problem here. Both home runs, they're, they're middle down, I'll say. Not middle middle, middle down if we had to break the strike zone into quadrants. But he uh, a first pitch slider to Gary Sanchez uh that he hangs with two runners on and it just spins right into the middle of the plate. Sanchez hits it for 107.4 mile per hour exit velocity. That's after he had given up uh, a single to Cronenworth on a slider. That was in the same location, middle down. Uh, you know, these pitches are right at the thigh. Uh, probably not a good location for a slider. Probably not where Cam Gallagher was calling it. I know. I'm shocked, too. This is how it happens with Cam Gallagher calling the game, not uh, Zanino. So, you know, we had praised Gallagher's, you know, game calling. Uh, but he can't, I, he can't do anything about that. If a pitcher's going to throw a slider middle-middle, he can't do anything about that. Uh, Soto single came on a fastball that was middle down. Uh, Tatis's home run in the second, and it comes on a curveball that's middle down. So, I mean, this location just absolutely gets pounded. Um, Machado's single came now. This is late in the fifth inning, uh, before he's knocked out of the game. Uh, that's more middle away for uh, for the right handed pitcher. Uh, what else in the first inning? In the second inning, Machado got a single on a fastball that was up at the shoulder, so he went up and got one there. But the first inning, uh, it's that middle down location that he pays. That both home runs come from that same spot, and and to make matters worse, he walks the two leadoff hitters of the game. Like, ooh, I mean, you want to talk about really putting yourself in a bad situation uh, as a young starter? Walking the first two hitters of the game, and both of them come in to score back to back. Flyouts are able to bring in Tatis, and then Cronenworth singles, and then Gary Sanchez unloads that three run home run before he blows Matt Carpenter away to get out of the inning. Doesn't it always work that way? After you give up a big home run like that, you just come back and just blow away the next hitter to get out of the inning. It's like, where was that? Where were those fastballs that he throws to Carpenter to get out of the inning? Uh, instead, it's a first pitch slider to Sanchez that gets absolutely blasted. 18 out of 30 ballparks, by the way, would have been a home run in. Tatis was only 6 out of 30 ballparks, so uh, playing to his home field. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, walking those leadoff hitters, uh, if your strikeout's not working, like if you're not getting the swing and miss, uh, that's, that's a really, really bad combination, right? So he wasn't getting the swing and miss. I mean, the slider got zero whiff. The changeup got one whiff. Uh, that's, I mean, those are his pitches, and he's not getting any swing and miss on the day. Only three whiffs on his fastball. They put it in play 10 times at an average exit velocity of 94.8. Average off a slider was 92.4. Average on the day, he gave up 94.1 exit velocity. So literally anything they swung at, 
almost anything except for the uh, the changeup uh, had a ridiculous high, ridiculously high contact rate. Uh, when they offered at the slider, it was a hundred percent contact rate. Uh, at the uh, fastball in the zone, when they swung in the zone, the Z swing, which eighty three percent of the time they were attacking that fastball in the zone. Uh, they had an 89% contact rate on it. So, I mean, just ridiculously high contact rate from those Padres hitters. And this isn't a situation, I mean, we've seen some low exit velocities. Wait till you see Joe Musgrove's exit velocities on the other side. You want to talk about low exit velocities. It's pretty crazy, even off his fastball. Um, Bybee just got hammered. So, I mean, clearly it was pitch location. Uh being in that middle middle territory, uh, going overall to the day, I mean, he was a, he he attacks he attacks with breaking balls, so maybe uh, the scouting report is out a little bit on him to not be afraid to go after that slider because, frankly, he doesn't throw many sliders out of the zone. He doesn't throw many changeups out of the zone. There there he's in the strike zone. Like that's that's our young pitchers attack the strike zone. The changeups are more to the lefties. Uh, the sliders are more to the righties. Uh, but, I mean, go ahead and free swing against Tanner Bybee right now because he's not making you extend the zone. Uh, so uh, that's what was going on on Bybee's side of things. On the other side of things, like I said, Musgrove was just filthy. I mean, I, okay, not filthy as far as whiff rate goes. Right, it's not huge CSW numbers. It's an eight whiffs on forty-eight swings. That's a seventeen percent whiff rate for Musgrove. Fifteen called strikes. It's only good for twenty-six percent CSW. But listen to these exit velocities. The average off his curveball, which he threw twenty-eight times, the most of any pitch. Average exit velocity was seventy-five point five. Off the four-seam fastball, which he threw second most, twenty-seven pitches. They put five of them in play. The average exit velocity was seventy point one off a fastball. The max exit velocity off his fastball, you know, off the curveball, at least they hit one hard, 97.5. The max off his fastball was only 78.5. They couldn't even have one hard hit ball against a fastball. Man, that is some uh, that is some brutal stuff right there. Uh, so, yeah, so his average exit velocity on the day is 78.9. So really, really inducing. That we contact. It's it's fine to be a high contact team that the Guardians are, right? Not a lot of swing and miss in this one either from them. But man, limiting the damage like that uh is pretty good stuff from Musgrove, uh, who goes six innings, gives up seven hits, only three earned runs, one walk, five strikeouts, does give up a home run, but a solo home run uh to Josh Bell on 90 pitches. He's only hard hit five times. So the Guardians make some attempts to crawl back into this game, but the Padres always have an answer. Uh, right, four runs in that bottom of the first inning. The Guardians do respond in the second inning. They are able to scratch a run. It's Josh Bell with a solo home run, who, you know, probably that was pretty surprising to uh, the Padres fans who saw Josh Bell in the second half of last season. Remember, he came over from the Nationals t- with Juan Soto and uh, you know, was supposed to help the Padres in that power department, and he had an absolutely awful... Like, you think Bell is having a so-so season right now for the Guardians? He was awful in 53 games for San Diego. 
In 103 games for the Nationals, he hit 301. He had an 877 OPS. The dude was legit slugger. 14 home runs, 24 doubles. He goes to the Padres, and he's hitting 192 in the second half of the season with a 587 OPS. So he's somewhere in the middle of that right now in Cleveland, right? 241 average, a 727 OPS. He's sitting in the middle there, but he, he does manage a uh, a solo home run in this one. Would have been a home run in 19 out of 30 ballparks. Uh, let's go to the at-bat there off Musgrove and just see what he got. So I'm sure the, uh, the San Diego Padres fans were like, of course. Of course Bell comes back and uh, hits one. And you know what? Man, it's just the theme of the night. It guess where gets the pitch location. Gets the pitch type. We talked about it with Tanner Bybee. Slider, middle, down. Right, we're talking dead center of the plate. Down. He went down and got it. It was at the bottom of the strike zone. But middle, down, slider. And he hits it 95.2. It was the fourth pitch of the at-bat. Uh, on an 0-2 count, by the way. So Musgrove could have easily expanded the strike zone and probably gotten a strike out of Josh Bell. But he stays in the strike zone and pays for it. Uh, yeah, I only had an expected bagging average of 0.90. It was down in the right field corner, and actually, if you look at Petco's fence, it like juts out just a little bit in that corner, just a weird quirk of Petco, and he drops it in the front row of those seats, front row or two, where they kind of jut out there. So that's probably why it had an expected batting average of 0.90. Hey, but uh, Bell's sixth homer on the season. We'll take it. So, you know, at least it was a response. Four to one, you felt like, okay, here go the Guardians. They're just going to churn their way back this entire game. Well, throw up a couple of zeros. Uh, well, So they respond in the bottom of the second. That's the problem. They respond, boom, immediately. We give up the home run. And then Tatis comes back in that second inning. Uh, they turn the lineup around back to the top of the lineup. And he hits that one 106.9. Uh, 850 expected batting average. So a little bit different than Josh Bell's. Uh, Bell also got under a 35-degree launch angle. Tatis was only at a 21-degree launch angle, so kind of a missile. Uh, Sanchez was also at a 21-degree launch angle. So, uh, yeah, Bell really kind of popped one up that just carried that right field fence. Uh, I mean, again, I'll take it. I'll absolutely take it, but just telling you the difference between those home runs there. Uh, so they answer right back. A couple of zeros. Uh, we get into... The uh, the fifth inning, okay, it's a 5-1 to one game. It doesn't feel like we're crawling back. But in the fifth inning, we're able to get something going here and uh, get a run across. Will Brennan with a single, Cam Gallagher with a double, and then Quan would actually get an RBI ground out. Uh, Brennan would just uh, break on the pitch and uh, is able to come in and score. Uh, grounds out to second base. They just take the out at first. Will Brennan comes in. Hey, okay, it's not pretty. Uh, this was the inning, I believe this was the inning of balls being hit off of players' gloves, which was a weird theme in the fifth inning. Uh, I believe Brennan's was deflected by the first baseman, Cronenworth, and uh, and then I believe Cam Gallagher's double was deflected by Machado down the third base line. So a little bit of bat-bip luck there uh, for your Cleveland Guardians. Uh, two balls hit to the to the right of infielders that both get deflected off gloves. Like that is some serious bat bit luck, and we're at least able to make them pay for a run. Like, sure, I would have loved to see Quan. Uh, at some point in this game, he drops one of his classic uh, singles into left field, 
But uh, I would have loved to see him get one here. Instead, it's a ground out. Uh, they play back. They take the out. Uh, we take the run. So we put one across in the fifth inning. You're thinking, all right, five to two, all right. You know, it's safe situation time. Like, okay, we, we're, we're slowly, here we go. We're slowly going to work back into this. Nope, they answer in the bottom of the fifth inning. So they won't let us win an inning. They just keep coming back. A single by Machado, a double by Bogarts. Um, uh, drives in Machado to score. Uh, he had moved up to second on a wild pitch. So they answer right back. So winning innings is important, and we're not able to do it. In the sixth inning, we scratch one more across. We finally win an inning in the sixth. Ramirez with a nice single up the middle. Naylor uh, singles on a line drive to center field as well. Uh, Bell would ground out. It would be a, a force play up the middle. It was a weird slide by Naylor that kind of breaks up the double play, kind of. I don't know. It was, a, it was a weird play. I didn't have the sound on. They showed the replay a bunch of times, so they were clearly talking about something. I didn't have the sound on. I, I don't know what. But the point is there's runners on the corner. And then Freeman hits a sack fly to left field. Uh, Soto was charging in. Uh, Soto was breaking in. It makes a strong throw home. And Ramirez just beats it. And, you know, the whole time I'm watching Soto going, you know, I'm watching him come in. I'm watching him track the ball. I'm watching him move in. Which, for an outfielder, that sets you up for a really good throw. And I'm thinking, boy, anybody else on this team might be in trouble. But Jose Ramirez is going to beat this throw. Like He's going to go. Uh, Ramirez will take any opportunity to take an extra base. He's going to tag up on this. We're going to have a play at the plate. And uh, sure enough, Ramirez is just a nice slide and beats the throw. So we do answer. Okay, 6-3. to three. And again, still, this is the fifth inning, or the sixth inning here, top of the sixth. You're thinking... There's still time. There's still time for the Guardians to crawl back into this. It's now a safe situation again, 6-3. to three. We just won an inning. And uh, the bullpen is able to come in for the Padres and pretty much shut that down. Uh, Steve Wilson, Nick Martinez, and then Hayter in the ninth is just wicked. Absolutely wicked. He does give up a hit. He does give up a hit to David Fry of all players. Uh, but he strikes out Arias, which I'm not even sure why Arias is pinch hitting. I looked at Arias' splits. He's got reverse splits. So why is he... I mean, Hayter is filthy against lefties. He's got an under one whip against lefties and just, I believe, at a one whip against righties. So, yes, he is absolutely filthy against lefties. Ridiculously good against righties as well. So it's not like you get a major advantage there. Brennan, uh, Arias is splits uh, in 53 plate appearances against lefties and 78 against righties. So it's not like it's a small sample size here. Against lefties, the right-handed hitter against left-handed pitching, which should be the advantage, is only hitting 104 with a 356 OPS. He does not hit lefties well. He likes righties, apparently. Now, I looked at his AAA splits from last season. And frankly, he was pretty even. Lefties, righties, he he hit them pretty evenly. Uh, there was nothing to indicate that this was going to happen this season. Uh, but against righties, he's a 288 hitter with an 897 OPS. So start playing the reverse splits for Gabriel Arias. I mean, Francona has to know this. He's got no doubles, no triples, one home run, uh, a solo home run against a lefty. He's got five doubles and three home runs against right-handed pitching. So, yeah, uh, his strikeout-to-walk ratio is better against right-handed pitching. So, uh, 
we got to start playing the reverse splits, I guess, for Gabriel Arias. So he pinch hits him in the ninth for Will Brennan against the lefty hater and absolutely blows him away. I mean, not only does he blow him away, he blows him away on three straight pitches, all swinging strikes, starts him off with the hard stuff, 94.6, a two-seam sinker up and in that he swings through, then a slider down below the knees that he swings through, and then why not? Doesn't even expand the strike zone. Throws him a slider on the plate, middle in. Uh, so he challenges him in with a slider. Remember, this is breaking in from the left-handed pitcher, and he swings through it for strike three. So Arias, I don't know what happened. Did he come up cold? Did he take any swings in the cage? Like, what happened here? Because he's absolutely blown away by Hayter. Straw comes up, works a longer at-bat, works a six-pitch at-bat, but finally uh, chases a slider down out of the zone on a 2-2 count and uh, strikes out. So the slider is working for Hayter. Wait till you see these numbers. Fry gets a second pitch sinker right down the middle, a two-seam sinker right down the middle of the plate, and is able to bloop a single into right field. Uh, so like I said, of all hitters, David Fry comes through. Our backup, backup, backup catcher comes through with that one. And then he even gets Quan uh, to strike out, and he just stays away. Uh, the left-on-left matchup, he's just pounding the outside part of the plate with sinkers and sliders. Uh, doesn't get him to expand the strike zone, but finally a, a sinker on the outside edge of the plate that he swings through 97. So he put a little bit more mustard on it, gets it up to 97 miles per hour and blows it past Steven Kwan to end the game. So, I mean, Hater just going to his player breakdown page. This is insane. He's got a, uh, he's got a 62% whiff rate, uh, uh, four whiffs on the sinker, four whiffs on the slider. It's an 80% whiff rate on that slider. So just filthy, filthy stuff uh, from Hayter. The only one they can make contact on, the only one they fouled off, wasn't even in the strike zone. It was expanding out of the strike zone uh, off Hayter. So all the uh, sliders in the strike zone that they swung at, 0% contact rate. I mean, Hayter's haters good. I remember he struggled too. When he came over from Milwaukee to San Diego. And clearly this season, it's going much, much better for him. So that's how they dominate us. Uh, it was. Uh, San Diego had this thing from the beginning. And they did not look back. Uh, that win probability line. Yeah, there's a few bumps in the road. But that's a pretty smooth curve uh, in the San Diego Padres' favor. So they run away with the first game of the season. Still time to answer back. Uh, but... Uh, boy, uh, giving up four runs in the first inning, let's put that behind us. Let's not make that a theme of the season. First inning home runs, first inning crooked number home runs, right? That's three out of four games now. Three out of four games in a row. And I know you you won two of them, but it's not a recipe for success to continue. So uh, that's all my thoughts on this one. MVP, you know what, wait, wait, hang on, hang on, hang on. Was nice to see our bullpen guys come up and put four shutout innings up. Xavier Curry again looked great. Two innings pitch, no hits, no walks, no runs, two strikeouts. So Curry looked very good. Cody Morris uh, comes in in relief, and he's looking very good. He pitches an inning, no hits, no runs, no walks, one strikeout himself on 13 pitches. Does give up two hard hit balls, but on 13 pitches, he handles the Padres. So it's nice to see him back. His velocity was there. Um, 
He had some of the hardest throws of the day. He hit 97 miles per hour a couple of times. So Cody Morris is back in this bullpen, and it will make a difference. It is another arm that Francona is going to be able to rely on. Uh, it's very exciting to see what Cody Morris... I know that he might eventually become part of the rotation. Like, in a season or two, he might be back in the rotation. But with so much starting pitching coming, uh, he still he could make himself a very good living, a very good career in this bullpen. So it'll be interesting to see how Cody Morris's career plays out. If he's just, you know, uh, we talk about Andrew Miller. I talk about Sam Henches, you know, trying to become Andrew Miller. It didn't work as a starter for Henches, but it could have out of the bullpen. Morris is a different situation. We don't know if it could work as a starter. But hey, if he makes it work out of the bullpen, again, a la Andrew Miller, just becomes this filthy, filthy pitcher out of the bullpen. Uh, hey, uh, there's nothing wrong with that, right? It could be a very, very rewarding career for Cody Morris still. So nice to see him back. Uh, and Eli Morgan does pitch the ninth. Uh, gives up a walk, but nothing else in the inning. So MVP on the day, we'll give it to Josh Bell. He gets the home run in his return, had two hits on the day. Him and Naylor are the only two with two hits on the day. So we'll give Josh Bell MVP on the day. All right, that is all my thoughts on this game. Uh, I do want to go over to your emails because we got, like I said, some interesting emails from you here. Um, Jared emailed in and was asking about the catchers. Can we measure whether Gallagher in his limited time has produced more run shares or wins or whatever advanced stats is applicable than Zanino? Um, and then, uh, someone else was also asking about catchers. Skip, uh, said, uh, was asking about catchers as well. He said, uh, what do you mean exactly when you say the motive of the front office is financial? How much money would it cost to replace Zanino? Um, so, uh, some questions about catchers. Jared also asked about the super two deadline that I was mentioning and kind of how does it work? It's not a calendar date. It's based on comparative playing time with other rookies in his class. So here's what I'll say about the catching position. Yes, I can give you a stat here. Fangrass has a stat called defensive runs saved. Uh, it's a statistic calculated by the Fielding Bible uh, that rates individual players as above or below average on defense. Uh, much like ultimate zone rating, players are measured in runs above or below average. So going over to the Guardians, DRS, defensive runs saved. Cam Gallagher and Andres Jimenez are tied for the lead team league, team lead, not league lead, team lead with seven DRS defensive runs saved. Le- team lead, the bottom of the team, the absolute bottom. It's Mike Zanino and Ahmed Rosario tied for minus eight defensive runs saved. So there you go. You wanted a stat that shows just the difference between Cam Gallagher and Mike Zanino. Boy, I didn't know it would also show the difference between Andres Jimenez and Ahmed Rosario, but there you go. The absolute opposite ends of the spectrum when it comes to defensive run safe there. Uh, so the thing about uh, money, and it goes to the Super 2 deadline. Uh, yes, they are in the hole uh, for $6 million to Zanino. Does that matter to them? I don't think so. They've been pretty... They have to. I mean, in business, you have to see that as a sunk cost, right? Any business school will teach you, don't worry about a sunk cost. It's gone. That money's gone. You paid it. Um, unless you could trade Zanino, which you're not. I mean, it, nobody would trade for Zanino. He's literally statistically the worst catcher in baseball. So it's a sunk cost. That money's gone. 
uh, where the money comes in and the Super 2 comes in is uh, basically... I was listening to the Selby's Godcast. Zach Meisel was trying to explain the Super 2 deadline. Even he was struggling to explain it in words. But basically, uh, yes, it is dependent on the uh, fellow rookies. And is he in the top percentage of rookies in how many days they played in the major league and got service time in the major league? Um, Meisel was suggesting that he's probably already past that point with how many days are left in the season. Uh, but basically, it means that the arbitrate you have the rookie years, and then it, you go into the arbitration years, right? So there's three years where you're supposed to be paid the league minimum or the rookie scale, and then you get three years of arbitration that you know, depending on you pl- how you play, you get paid more. And because of the super two thing, if you qualify as a super two player, which means you've got more service time than your fellow rookies have, you are eligible for arbitration earlier. So that's where it would cost money. So yes, there is no hard deadline. It is based on his fellow rookies. But at this point in the season, uh, historically, he's kind of past where that cutoff usually falls. Do the Does the front office have people that can project these things and, and crunch the numbers and figure it out? Maybe. Maybe. Uh, you know, they're a pretty talented front office. So Maybe they do, but that's where it would cost them extra money. It's not about paying Naylor now. It's not about paying Zanino now. It's about how expensive of a player Naylor becomes if he does qualify as a Super 2 and hits that arbitration early, and how does that arbitration scale expand from there? I don't. Meisel was going on saying, I don't think that's what the Guardians care about. It, it, frankly, they couldn't figure out why Naylor wasn't up here. Uh, they went a long time on it, and so yeah, so that's kind of what I was referring to. So you're right, Jared. Super two is not a, a line drawn in the sand. Uh, it's a very flexible, moving line that the Guardians' ha- a front office has to try to figure out. And they've had other super two players. I think they said that um, uh, Josh Naylor and uh, Cal Quantrill both qualified as super two players because of how much they pitched. And you look at rookies like Bybee and Allen that have been up here since the beginning of the season. They'll probably qualify if they continue like this, would qualify as super two players down the line. So uh, they're not afraid of it. And again, it makes you question why Bo Naylor isn't here. All right, I'm going to try to wrap up this episode. Andrew, I saw your email come in. Andrew has a good Naylor story for us. I think I'm going to save it for tomorrow. Uh, Jeff emailed in, Jeff from Columbus, Jeff with a G. He said, Davey, he asked about all-star voting. He said, Davey, I'm doing my part. Even my son submitted votes. Has anyone explored an algorithm we can deploy to get more Guardians on the all-star game roster? I'm sure someone has looked into this. Yeah, I'll tell you, Jeff, the answer is your kid. The answer, I mean, when I was a kid, I used to go to the ballpark and grab as many all-star ballots as I could and just sit there for like the first three innings punching out all the Guardians players. That's right. Back in the day, you had to do it by paper and you had to do it at the stadium and then stuff those ballot boxes. So kids are the answer, man. Get the kids enthusiastic about the All-Star game and voting. I don't think any Guardians are going to be starting in the All-Star game. We'll continue to talk about that. I mean, frankly, Josh Naylor and Emmanuel Classe, probably your two All-Star representatives at this point in the season. Naylor's hitting a little better than Ramirez. So, uh, Possibly, you know, maybe that's who you're looking at, but we'll see. As we get uh, closer and closer, we'll talk about that more. But Jeff, I appreciate you and your son doing your part uh, for the All Star voting. Uh, and then Marlon reacted. Uh, Marlon from Birmingham uh, reacted to the game as usual. 
he said, I wonder if the rough outings by Allen and Bybee in their latest starts are typical growing pains by rookies or if the league is starting to figure them out. Well, like I said, they do throw a ton of strikes, Marlon. And yeah, maybe they are being more aggressive against them because of that. Uh, you mentioned the importance of home runs with runners on base, and this game was a perfect example. Sanchez hits a three-run home run while Bell hits a solo home run. Yeah. Like I said, that home run can really, really just accent. It is the big finale to a rally. It can really turn a game, and it does for the uh, for the Padres here. So uh, Marlon does a great job with his recaps of the game. So I appreciate the email, Marlon. Uh, he did have more to say in this. But let's wrap things up. Uh, that's all my thoughts. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. Again, the final it's the Padres 6, the Guardians 3. Still time to get back into the series and even things up. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at Mornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the game, and we'll discuss them on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Spotify. If you go to the link in the show notes, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play it back on the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. Baseball Morning.